morning. It's a good morning. Um, got a text last night from Pastor uh, saying that he's praying for us. That's a good thing. And uh, to greet everybody and give his love to you. Um, and we look forward to him being back next week. Everybody here okay? Okay, I'd like to read from Second uh, Timothy chapter 1. I'm, yeah, Second Timothy, okay. Second Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of love, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience and my forefathers, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us unto a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason... I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So it sounds like Timothy uh, has a few you know, a little bit of that fear and trepidation, that little bit of uh, anxiety, and and uh, Paul gets word of this. I don't know how Paul got word of it. Paul himself is in prison, and uh, we'll see what what the situation is. Let's we'll look a little bit at the setting first, uh, starting out with uh, Paul um, going to Jerusalem. For the feast. And when he gets there, the Jews try to take him captive. And uh, as they're taking him captive, uh, the Roman soldiers try to, to, 
to hold down the mob and the noise and the crowd. And, and uh, um, Paul says, you know, I'm a Roman citizen. And so then the, that gets a little, uh, gets the Roman soldiers a little excited here. You know, we can't be doing too much with this guy. He's a Roman citizen. So they take him under their care, protecting him from the Jews. And then, then of course, uh, uh, they decide to have a trial for him. And they don't want to do it in Jerusalem because the, you know, that would be, you know, in a, in a bad situation, it's like let's get this guy out of Jerusalem. So they they take him up to to, to Governor Felix up in Caesarea, and then um, he goes before Felix, and then uh, Felix uh, says, "Oh, I don't know what to do with him." So he sends him to Festus, and uh, Festus he's kind of confused too. So Festus says, uh, "You know, tomorrow or you know soon." King Agrippa's coming here. I'm going to let him listen to you, and he can help make the decision here what we're going to do with you. So um, King Agrippa comes, and, and he listens to Paul, and he says, well, whoa, Paul, you almost um, persuade me to be a Christian. But um, he doesn't. And then uh, Paul, uh, since they can't come to any real decision for him, Paul insists on... He appeals to Caesar. I want to go to Caesar. You know, I want to make my case before Caesar. And so the, um, the, the people decide, you know, King Agrippa and, and, and Festus decide, well, you know, we would, we would have let you go, but since you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you'll go. And so he takes off on a ship and he's sailing across the Mediterranean and he gets into all kinds of problems there. He's, uh, sailing across the Mediterranean, of course, and then the ship, ship is wrecked and he ends up on an island and he's bitten by a poisonous snake and, and, uh, all kinds of little handicaps. And then eventually he comes to Rome and he's now under the care of the Roman soldiers and he's under house arrest. So he's got a pretty good situation. He's got a, rented house and he's um, he's in a place where he's kind of confined he can't go out of the house he's got to be there and and uh, um, he can his friends can come and see him and so on and he can visit with people and preach the gospel to those that come in so Paul's in pretty good shape and then in that prison time that he's there he writes uh, he writes the the prison epistles. Uh, Ephesians and Colossians, Philippians and Philemon. Those are called the prison, uh, prison epistles and those were written in his first imprisonment in Rome. But then they let him go. And so Paul goes back to, uh, Jerusalem and then he travels up through, um, Ephesus and leaves Timothy there to take care of the church. And then he goes on to Macedonia in Philippi. And while he's in Macedonia, Philippi, he writes the book of First Timothy and Titus, t- talking to them about some of the things that they need to do in the churches that they're uh, in charge of. So once they're over there, um, after I think it was two years in Macedonia, he decides to go visit the Romans again. So he's going to go back to the Roman church. And unfortunately, it wasn't a good time to go back to Rome because Nero had just burned down the city. And 
he was getting the flack from the people and um, he didn't like that. So he, who's he going to blame? The Christians. It's the Christians that did this. So a, a severe persecution begins of the Christians in Rome. And of course, Paul stumbles right into this hornet's nest and is arrested and put in jail. This time, not a house arrest, but a real, you know, real prison sentence where he's in chains and he's down in this probably a miserable cell all by himself. Um, he says, I'm all alone here. Um, he says, only Luke is with me, but uh, Demas hath forsaken me and uh, for this present world. Demas went back to the world, evidently. And, and Titus has gone to um, Dalmatia, and Crescens has gone to Galatia. Um, so I'm all alone here except Luke. And uh, that's where we're picking it up. So he's in his second uh, term in Rome now, and he's going to write a letter to Timothy. He's writing the book of Second Timothy. And... Uh, I don't know how he got this, but he got word from somehow, I suppose from the Roman church, got it from travelers or something, and and uh, they told Luke, and Luke brought the message to Paul. It's some, Timothy's really having trouble. Timothy's really struggling. And so uh, that's kind of the setting. So... Um, Remember, Timothy's been left behind in Ephesus to deal with problems that have developed in the Ephesian church. There's false teachers. There's worldliness. There is uh, disorder in worship. There's a uh, need for some qualified leaders. Um, and then, of course, always the ever-present hatred of the uh, idolaters who were following um, Diana, you know, the goddess Diana. She was a big thing in Ephesus. Um, so that's what T- Timothy's dealing with. And Timothy's kind of lost sight of his purpose. He's lost sight of his purpose, and he's kind of become overwhelmed by his circumstances. And, of course, we all know something about that. Sometimes circumstances can pile up on you. And I think that's kind of what's what's happened to Timothy here. And so Paul writes him a few uh, things that are, uh, that that should help him. And reminds him of a few things. And, you know, he says, you know, remember your grandma uh, Lois and your mother Eunice and how the, the great faith that they had. And and I trust that that's in you too, Timothy. And and from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. That's an important thing, isn't it? From the from the from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures. I just want to say one thing to the young people here. Um, if you're in a home that has an open Bible and you're able to come to a church like this where the word of God is preached, you are at a great, great advantage in, uh, you're at a great advantage in this world because 90 some percent of the people you're going to run into out in the world have no clue about the Bible. They have no clue about who Jesus is and, uh, you do, and and uh, you know, the, I think it's the wisdom of Solomon in Ecclesiastes. He says, um, "Remember your Creator in the days of your youth." So that's an important thing. Uh, you're you're fortunate 
that you have parents that love the Lord and, and that you have a Bible in the home and you have a teaching here. Um, make the most of it while you can. Uh, in fact, that's what, what uh, Solomon says. He says, do this before you start getting piled on by the world because eventually you will. There'll be a lot of things in the world that'll be a problem for you. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. So anyway, anxiety and fear have set in with Timothy, and he's become fearful to speak the truth, evidently. It says uh, that he might be ashamed of teaching the gospel. And I said, well, why would Timothy be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ? Um, and then he's fearful for himself, you know. They could turn on him. He could be killed at any time. I think he's probably his biggest burden is Paul. He knows that Paul is going to be uh, taken off the scene here soon. Um, it's, it's pretty evident that Paul's going to be executed. Paul says, I'm ready. You know, it's time for my departure. And uh, so I, I think Timothy's pretty worried about that. He says, you know, what will happen to the church if I'm taken off the scene? You know, will they be able to get by without Paul? Um, I wonder about that. So he's kind of in a, um, he's kind of got this um, this anxiety inside about everything's going to fall apart, everything's going wrong. And so um, that's kind of where Timothy's at right now. Paul's got a bigger problem. He's in prison. He's in chains. His friends have gone away. Uh, he's cold because he says to Timothy, uh, come before winter and please bring my coat. You know, he wanted his coat. And so I assume he's in a unheated jail cell and uh, it gets cold there at night. And and he wants his coat and he says, be sure to bring the manuscripts. So um, and, and for, tells Timothy to hurry. And I don't think we have any we don't have any idea if he ever re, uh, if Timothy ever got to him or not before he was executed. Um, the Bible for us kind of ends there um, in the book of Acts. It ends with Paul's first trip to um, to Rome. And so the, anything past Acts 28, we just have to go to the history books and find out what they say about it. And the history books say that he was executed. And uh, so Timothy's still in Ephesus. Um, so Paul tries to encourage Timothy by reminding Timothy of, of these things, like from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures and your grandma and your, uh, your mother, their great faith, uh, hold fast to sound words, uh, stir up, he says, stir up the gift that's in you. You know, sometimes we have to do that too. We have to stir up the gift that's in us. We can get lethargic and we can get laid back and say, well, um, you know, I'm kind of tired today. Maybe I don't want to read the word today. Maybe I want to just uh, sleep in today. It's a Sunday, you know, but I work all week. I might want to just sleep in today. And so we need to constantly be stirring up the gift of God that's in us. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit resides in us, and uh, he's encouraging us to press on. He's encouraging us to move ahead. And sometimes we just ignore that and and go back to being what we know we shouldn't be. 
And he tells Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, to be diligent and present yourself a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there's a difference now between Paul and Timothy. This is a time when Timothy should be encouraging Paul, but Paul has to encourage Timothy. It's kind of backwards, I think. Um, uh, so Timothy's been overwhelmed by his circumstances, something that you and I probably know something about. Probably we've all been in that position where things just, uh, you know, one circumstance we can look at and we can say, oh, I can handle that. But then two and then three and four and finally we just go, ah, I'm, you know, it's all piling up on me. What do I do? And then we forget our bearing. We forget this, uh, that God has given us a, a mind with sound reasoning, it says. He's given us, uh, you know, not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And then we have to use that sound mind. Um, but we don't sometimes. And we get piled up on. And it's pretty common for us to do that. But Paul's got a solution for that. Let's try to see what that is. We got a few, I have a few questions that for you. How is Paul able to face death and to say, I'm not ashamed? Um, uh, I'm not ashamed of, of Christ. I'm not ashamed of, of the gospel. He says, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. So Paul's not ashamed. Um, Paul uh, and Silas, of course, when they were in the Philippian prison, I can imagine what that place looked like. And the, uh, the jailers got him in prison there with other prisoners. And the other prisoners are probably grumpy and growling about each other and all their situation. And Paul and Silas wake up at midnight and start praising God and praying uh, they must say, boy, you guys are nuts. Why are you singing in this lousy place? But that's what they did. Now, how was Paul and Silas able to do that? How were they able to do that? Um, so, when problems arise, now Timothy's got a problem, and of course Paul's got problems, but Timothy's problems are what Paul wants to look at. And when we see problems in people, I, I guess the human tendency is to look at the person, look at the problem, and then try to solve it here. But it says in the gospel that we're not supposed to do that. We have to always start with God. Start with God. And God has a purpose. A purpose. There's a purpose for everything that's going on on this earth right now. We look at our, poli- our political situation and it's a mess. And we say, well, why is this? You know, everything's out of control. It's not out of control. God has everything right in his perfect timing. And uh, he's working out things that you and I probably have um, no idea how he's going to do it. But we know where he's going with it. And that's the important thing. Um, so when uh, we are to look at God and his purpose, that's what Paul just told us in Second. Timothy in that bit we just read. But uh, when um, what is God's purpose? Well, right from the very beginning, according to the Westminster Confession, the purpose of God is to have a people for himself, a church. That's, that's the church he's talking about, to have a people for himself um, 
that will glorify him and enjoy him forever. You know, that's our calling, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's a, that's a, uh, a high calling, a high calling. And that's the one that Paul says, I press on toward the mark for the prize of high calling uh, in Christ Jesus. So this church, what is the church? Uh, the church, Paul says, is a mystery. He tells us that the church is a mystery. You know, in the whole Old Testament, the church is never mentioned once. There's never mentioned. In the Old Testament, there's only two groups, two factions. There's the um, the Jews and there's the Gentiles. That's it. But when you come into the New Testament, um, after the day of Pentecost, um, then you have three factions. You have the Jews, you have the Gentiles, they're still there, but now you have the church. So the church was started on the day of Pentecost, and now the church is a combination of Jews and Gentiles that have been made one. Now there's no difference between those that were separated. He says there, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, barbarian and Scythian. There's no a difference between male and female. All are one in Christ. That's the church. So that's uh, the church, and it's described as a... Um, Paul tries to describe the church. Uh, one way, he, he talks about it as a body. The church is a body, and we are the members of this body. Um, I just want to read, let's see, a little, a couple verses from, I can find it, let's see. Uh, second, I'll just read it, Second Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, I'm going to read 15 through 19. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not one of the body. It is there, is it therefore not one of the body? And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? Where, uh, if the whole body, uh, if the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleases. And if they were uh, all one in number, where would the body be? You know, if every one of us was exactly the same, punched out of a cookie cutter, you know, it would be pretty uninteresting, but it would be pretty ineffective also. But God has taken people from every tribe and tongue and nation, put them all together and made them all one. It's going to be a remarkable thing on that day, you know, when when Christ comes for his church. And then another verse here, verse 24. Um, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body. There should be no schism in the body. The body should be one. Um, that's important to us, but that's important to most important to Jesus, as we'll find out. Um, there should be no schism in the body that the members should have the same care one for another. 
And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Um, Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's that's the church that he's talking about here. Um, And then um, there's a few charges, of course, to this church. Um, He says, you want to be in this church? Do you want to be in this church? Well, the church has a few requirements. Number one, you must, pastor's been talking about this for the last umpteen weeks, you know, uh, you must be born again. You must be born again. Um, Remember, the church is made up of fallen, reprobate sinners, those that have no hope in themselves, those that could never change themselves in a million years. They have to be changed by the Spirit of God. They have to be quickened. And uh, so he says, you must be born again. He said, you're coming out of this, uh, what does it say in Ephesians uh, chapter 2? It says, you he hath quickened who were dead in sin and trespasses, who formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So that's the people that are going to build the church, that are going to make up the church. Um, He says, if you are a member of the church, you will be a new creature, a new creature. Um, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So what becomes new? Well, you become new. And I'm thinking beyond this. I'm thinking you become new, a new citizen of a whole different uh, kingdom. You know, you come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You come into the kingdom of his dear son. Um, you are, um, you, you also have an, uh, a double, he's given you a new, um, a new fix on the world. Um, formerly you remember that in your old life, the whole world revolved around, pretty much around you or around men, people. It was all about people, about uh, man's kind in the center here, and he's got it all figured out, and we just have to listen to our leaders and just do what they say, and we'll be fine. Um, almost instantly, when you're born again, that all changes. And suddenly now, God's the center of everything, and that changes everything. Pretty soon, you, got, you like things you didn't like. You don't like things you did like. Um, your whole life starts to change, and that's... A pretty remarkable thing, but it's what they call being born again. You know, you've got a, a whole different fix on life. And then um, he received, the church receives gifts, and it says they receive gifts. Um, uh, as he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints and the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the gifts that he gives us are to help each other and to edify each other and to build up each other. So that's why Paul is concerned about Timothy. He says, that's my job. I I want to, but I also have to 
help Timothy as much as I can right now. Um, so that's kind of like that. Then the, I, the last one I put down is the, the church has a responsibility to assemble. He says um, in Hebrews 10.25, he says, forsake not the uh, assembling of yourselves together. Don't forsake it, you know. It, uh, if, if it's a struggle to get here on a Sunday, do it anyway if you can. You know, if you're sick, stay home. But if uh, any way you can get to the assembling of the of the body, go for it. Uh, that's important. If you're not here, we miss you. And uh, you know that's that's true of the church. If we if we if one suffers, we all suffer. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. But if one's missing, we miss that person. So you are missed if you're not here. Okay? Now, um, he also talks about, Paul also talks about the church as a building. Um, He says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints as members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's from Ephesians 2.19. Um, <clears throat> so the members of the household of God, that's our household. And then he says, foundation of the apostles and prophets. I don't think he means that the foundation is the apostles and prophets, but what they wrote and what they uh, put down on uh, in the scriptures by uh, inspiration of God. They wrote these scriptures as men, uh, holy men of old were, uh, you know, they were they were given inspiration to write the scriptures, and uh, um, that's what we follow. We follow the word of God, the scriptures, and. Of course, he told us in, uh, um, he told us that no other foundation can any man lay but that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Christ is the foundation. He's also the cornerstone. He holds it all together. Um, what does it say? That all things are uh, by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist. You know, he, he's the glue that holds it all together. He's the, he squares up the building. And we're the building. And the other thing he says here is this building grows. Have you ever heard of stones that can grow? I look at a stone and it just stays a stone. But he says here this, these stones grow <clears throat> into a holy temple for the Lord. I, I, I kind of thought about that and I said, well, Peter, uh, in um, 2 Peter 4 and 5, he tells us about these stones. They're not just ordinary stones. He says, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ, Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he's precious, 
But to those who are disobedient, the stone that the builders rejected hath become the chief cornerstone, but also a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. How does he say that? Well, it's a stone of stumbling. Uh, he tells us in 1 Corinthians one twenty-three, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. And, of course, to the Greeks or the Gentiles, it's foolishness. Ever talk to somebody that's never been church, they've never gotten into reading the word of God or hearing it, and, uh, you know, and, and you try to tell them about the Lord, and they, they just kind of smile and say, yeah, sure, sure. You know, it's foolishness to them. They cannot receive the things of God, um, and they really can't because it's, those things are spiritually discerned, and it's impossible for them. So it doesn't make any sense to an unbeliever. Until, of course, they're quickened by the Spirit. They're awakened. And uh, so Jesus, uh, if you remember in John 17, uh, the last night before Jesus is crucified, um, he stops there. They leave the upper room where he washed the disciples' feet and he told them that they would not be left orphans, that he was going to come back for them and that he was, in the meantime, he's sending the Holy Spirit uh, to come in and dwell in them and comfort them. He said, it's good that I go away, for if I go away, I'll send to you the comforter. And the Holy Spirit will He'll uh, teach you all things and teach you in truth. He'll guide you. He'll um, re- bring to your remembrance all the things that I've commanded you. He'll um, convince the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And uh, he said, we could walk these dusty roads from Jerusalem to Galilee and back and forth, he said, and I can be with you. But he said, it's good that I go away because if the Spirit comes, he's going to be in you. He's going to dwell in you. And that's uh, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Of course, the Holy Spirit came down and indwelt the church, individuals of the church. So Jesus, in his prayer here, they they are heading for the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, they stop on evidently on the hillsides of the Mount of Olives, and Jesus stops and prays to his Father. Just a real intimate prayer between Christ and his his Father, and the disciples get to hear this prayer. And, of course, Jesus starts out praying for himself. How am I going to get through this? You know, I need you, Lord. I need you, Father, to, to help me get through this. And then he, he talks about, uh, he, he prays for his apostles, for those that are with him. But then in verse 20, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for all them which shall believe on me through their word. These apostles are going to write a word. It's going to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. And all those that come along later, like us, and believe on this and believe the word, he says, I'm praying for them too. I'm praying for all those that will believe uh, through their word, that they all may be one, as the Father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou sent me. So, Jesus sees this great oneness between he and the Father. He says, let's make that oneness in the church between the members, one with another, and them with us, and us with them, and 
and uh, he, he wants it to all be one. And uh, that's, a, that's probably one of the few times Jesus says, this is my will. I want this, please, Father. Usually he says, your will, Father, your will. But here he has his own, uh, his, his own request to the Father. So what does it mean to be one? Well, he, he, uh, an example, of course, is Jesus and his Father are one. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, the uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Tells us that in First John, says these three are one. And then uh, it, I think uh, in John 10, he says, um, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one shall be able to snatch them out of my hand. And my Father is greater than they are. I mean, excuse me, my Father is greater than I am, and no one shall be able to snatch them out of his hand. And he says, for the Father and I are one. Father and I are one. So that's the kind of oneness he wants with the church. Um, and then, of course, he made Christ to be the head of the body. And the, the body of Christ would look kind of foolish wandering around without a head. For one thing, we wouldn't know where we were going. And we need, we need a headship. We need leadership. And uh, we have that in Christ. And then, of course, it says in it says he hath put all things under his feet and made him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So then a head without a body, not complete. A body without a head, not complete. But Christ becomes the head of the body, and it says the fullness of him that fills all in all. Christ fills all in all. So fullness of the body. And this unity or or fellowship, relationship, whatever you want to call it, uh, comes in two ways. We have a vertical relationship with God, with Christ. Uh, we, we feed that by being in his word, meditating on the word, uh, praying, worshiping, um, uh, constantly being aware that we have a Father, that we have a Christ, that we have the Holy Spirit, and being in fellowship with him. Uh, Praying without ceasing. Um, so that's uh, that's our vertical relationship, and then of course there's a horizontal relationship one to another, you know, one to another. And this uh, this relationship of one to the other, um, I think this is my opinion, maybe. Um, the stronger our vertical relationship, the stronger will be our horizontal relationship. I believe it's built on that vertical relationship. The more we are in tune with God, the more we are um, uh, in tune with him, the more we will be in tune with all of those who love him and all those who care about him. And then, of course, one to another, um, he commands us. He says, I... I, I a new command, a new commandment I give you, but not a new commandment, the old commandment, that ye love one another. That, that was John telling us that. And then, um, in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, it says, 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. You know, it's it's uh, something we don't have to try to do. You can't make unity. You know, it doesn't ever tell us in the Bible to make unity. It tells us to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And if uh, if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we will have unity. We will have unity, and uh, we don't have to go out and make unity. Sometimes you hear that on, you know, in in the whole church uh, religious setting. You know, someone will say, "Let's all get all the churches together, and we'll all." Go and we'll all have this big revival and everybody will look at us and say, boy, they all love one another and they're all in unity. Not true. We can't make unity. The Holy Spirit makes unity. And uh, um, you can't put um, all the different religions together and have unity. It's not going to happen. So... How do we know all these things are true? Well, we have the word of God uh, um, and and through the Holy Spirit working in us, taking the word of God, we're like these living stones. We grow. We grow. And it says that the word of God is quick. That means living. Is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide even to the... Uh, uh, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Is the discerner or the judge of the thoughts and intents of our heart. Um, Sometimes we don't even know our own heart, but God does. And as we read the word and it says, um, I've just had a big squabble with my friend and and, uh, I don't like him. (laughs) Uh, I've become kind of bitter toward him and I'm reading the word the next morning that says, put away all bitterness and anger and malice and wrath with malice. And I think, whoa. You know, and then pretty soon it kind of eats away on me, you know, as the Holy Spirit works in me. He takes that word and he convicts you with it. And so through this word, he sanctifies us. He starts to change us. And, and of course, that was Jesus' prayer in John 17, uh, 20, where he says, you know, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. I guess that's 1717. Uh, he says, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. So it's, uh, that's kind of how that works, you know, that he, if we, if we're in the word, he's going to, um, he's going to sanctify us. He promises to do that. It's his will. And, uh, of course, it's up to us to be in the word enough, to be in fellowship with him, to be repentant of sin. And then uh, the word of God, in the word of God, the gospel is revealed. And, of course, well, what is the gospel? Well, it's God's purpose from the very beginning. God started uh, his ministry of the gospel back in Genesis when Adam and Eve fell into sin. Um, and I think God says to the, to the serpent, the, the seed of the woman, um, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. So um, that was kind of the start of the gospel, predicting that 
there was going to be enmity. There was going to be a battle between um, the devil and Christ. And Christ was going to win eventually um, on the cross, being crucified. And so all through the Bible, there's predictions, there's uh, prophecies, there's shadows and types, and everything points toward Jesus Christ, toward his coming, toward his coming down on the earth and sacrificing himself for our sins on the cross. And so uh, all that is is over and over through the Old Testament. If you go through the Old Testament, you look for um, all the various ways that, that that the gospel is proclaimed. And then Paul tries to describe the gospel a little. I think he says in um, Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Um, for it in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So um, the gospel then is um, continuous um, and, and parades right through all the way till that day that Paul talked about on that day. And that day is when, of course, uh, um, he will... Um, establish his kingdom on the earth. Okay. And then, uh, why is Paul suffering? Why is Paul suffering? It's because of the gospel. He tells us that. It's because of the gospel. Um, he's got the Jews on his back because he's trying to Give the gospel to Gentiles. And of course the Jews think the Gentiles are dogs. They hate the Jew. They hate the Gentiles. But Paul's offering the Gentiles these things of God, which, um, you know, that's, that's horrible for the Jews to think about. And then he's, uh, uh the Romans hate him because he's telling the, the, the people that there's another king. There's this King Jesus and someone who would be competition for Caesar. So, um, so Paul's got enemies in the Jews. He's got enemies in the Gentiles. He's, he's, uh, uh, so his sufferings is because of the gospel, and he'll tell, he tells us that. Um, he says, uh, how does he say that? He says, God who has saved us and called us onto a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which he hath given us in Christ Jesus from before the foundation of the world. He says, but it now is made manifest through the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which cause I suffer these things. The gospel is the cause of his suffering. Um, so he's, he's become a, a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for which cause I suffer these things. Um, where is Paul's strength? His strength is in the gospel. He says it's the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. 
Um, what are we supposed to do with the gospel? Believe it. We're supposed to believe the gospel. Um, John tw- uh, twenty thirty one says, um, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Um, and in believing, you might have life in his name. Um, it says in John 1, 12, um, remember he, he made the world and was in the world, but the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But to them that received him gave he power to be called the sons of God. Even them that believed on his name. So um, it's about believing. Whosoever believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10.10, 10, if you confess with, with, with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So you got to believe. Romans 5.24, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me um, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So uh, scripture after scripture saying our job is to believe the gospel. There's power in believing the gospel. Um, you say, well, you know, um, but I'll try harder. I'll work harder. I'll, I'll read my Bible more. I'll go to church more. I uh, won't do it. You have to believe the gospel. You have to believe the gospel. Um, and uh, say, so what is Timothy's problem? Well, The Bible, or excuse me, the doctrines um, are given to us in the Word of God. They're given to us in the Bible. Um, the doctrines are there to lead us to these purposes of God, the purpose of God. Uh, some doctrines are essential and are not to be debated. We have to believe them. Other doctrines we can agree to disagree. Um, Believing the essential doctrines is what makes a Christian. That's what a true Christian is. If you uh, believe all the doctrines and then you come to an essential doctrine, you say, but I don't believe that. And probably you're not a Christian yet. Um, No one can have the power to live a true Christian life unless they believe the essential doctrines of the faith. Uh, I'll quote uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones here. He says, but at this point, It is at this point that I would emphasize again and again is that you will only know the comfort and consolation, the strength and the power of this gospel if you believe it as a whole. You cannot get any of the benefits of Christianity without believing the doctrines of the Christian faith. Some people say, I don't like doctrine. I don't care about doctrine. Don't talk to me about doctrine. I just want to love Jesus and worship and praise. But the problem with that is you might be worshiping the wrong Jesus. You might be worshiping a false Jesus. You might be worshiping some Jesus you made up in your mind. We have to know the doctrines. It's absolutely essential to know uh, what these doctrines are. And some examples of Essential doctrines we have to believe is that we are all sinners. You believe that? You believe that? Yeah. Um, all have sinned and come short of the uh, have come short of the glory of God. Uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. 
um, the virgin birth of Christ. That's one that's sort of being put away now in some churches. Um, but the virgin birth, uh, he, he told Mary, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will bear a son and call his name Jesus and he shall save their, your, his people from their sin. Or this one that's born will be called uh, the son of the Most High. He's, and so uh, it, it's important, it's absolutely essential that this was a virgin birth. Otherwise, Jesus was just a man like you and I, you know. But the fact that he was sired, he was born of, uh, of the Spirit of God. He was uh, conceived of the Spirit of God. Um, a bodily resurrection, that's part of the doctrine we have to believe. Some churches now are starting to teach that, um, you know, that Jesus, yeah, he was raised from the dead, but kind of just in spirit, you know. It's just like the Spirit of God came back, you know, and so we'll go on with that. But to believe that he is was physically raised from the dead. Paul says um, to Timothy, he says, uh, uh, remember, Timothy, the gospel that I preach, Christ was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Christ was raised physically, bodily from the dead. And over 500 witnesses saw them and and his apostles spent time with him and and he told Thomas, doubting Thomas, he said, put your hand in my wound, in my side here. Uh, look at my hands and feet. And he said, oh, my Lord, my God. He, Thomas became a believer uh, pretty quick there when he was faced with, with the living Christ after the crucifixion. So we have to believe the bodily resurrection, salvation by grace through faith, not by your good works, not by all your good hopes, not by your being a good person. You're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ by grace. You say, well, I think I'm saved by his love. I don't think Jesus can save you, or God can save you by his love. He doesn't save anybody by his love. He saves us by his grace. And uh says, um, and, you know, God so loved the world, but what did he do with that? He gave his son that whosoever believeth in him. God gave us his son. He didn't say, because I love you, you're saved. Um, that would be injustice for him. He's got to be just. And the only way to be just was to take punishment for sin. Okay. Um, and then the deity of Christ. Christ is God. Christ is um, perfect God, perfect man. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, of course, the word of God is Christ because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, um, the word of God, perfect God, perfect man. He, he, I think the, um, that's given to us in uh, Isaiah 9, 6. Um, it says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Two different things. A child born, a son given. A child born to Mary, a human child. But a son given from God, a divine child. And that was, uh, um, this this God is the God-man. He's the God-man. He became the God-man right in the cradle there in the straw in the in, in uh, Bethlehem. 
And he's been the God-man ever since. He was the God-man on the cross. He's the God-man in in heaven today. He's he's at the right hand of the Father, but he's the God-man. And he'll always be the God-man. He represents us in heaven. And uh, that's an amazing thing. And some doctrines we can agree to disagree on. Um, things we're studying in fit right now where we talk about the millennium and the rapture and the pre-trib and post-trib and all the different uh, end time events, you know, they're not concrete. You know, the Bible talks about them but doesn't give us uh, exact uh, times and, and things like that. So um, those are things we can disagree on, and they do. Lots of people in the church disagree. Baptism is something that um, we're commanded to be baptized. We're commanded to um, to identify, publicly identify with Jesus Christ. That's what baptism's about. Doesn't save anybody, won't save you, but whether you're dipped or dunked or sprinkled or whether you're uh, adult baptized or infant baptized, we can disagree on those things. Everybody has to uh, go with what they believe on that. Um, the, the, the point remains we need to be baptized, but he doesn't say specifically how we have to be baptized. And then the age-old argument, uh, <clears throat> kind of called the debate of the ages, is um, it's, uh, you know, the Arminian Calvinism thing goes back and forth. People get all worked up over it and uh, um, believe this way or believe that way. And it started back with Augustine uh, back in the, can't remember what century that was, a long time ago. It started with Augustine and it's been going on ever since. And, uh, of course, um, it's kind of like, the difference between the total sovereignty of God or does man have some choices? Is it man's choice? Free The free will of man, it goes back and forth. Um, and, of course, churches have been arguing about this forever. Probably the most uh, distinguished relationship in that was Wesley and Whitfield. Uh, George Whitfield was a Calvinist, a staunch Calvinist. And John Wesley was a staunch Arminian. And they went back and forth and argued and just had a good time. They were good friends. And guess what? God used them both tremendously in the church. And uh, they both were responsible for the souls of of hundreds of thousands of people. Um, And so that debate wasn't settled with them. But they argued to their, you know, they argued back and forth all the time about it. So... um, uh, the, so Timothy, you now he's got this problem, and Paul's going to try to come up with a solution for him in writing to him. Um, he's allowed the circumstances to pile up on him and get him under. He's, he's being overwhelmed by his circumstances. Uh, and again, something you and I know about, sometimes we get under the, under the circumstances. And Paul's solution for Timothy is to remind him of who he belongs to, and the power of believing the gospel, the purpose of God from the very beginning. Timothy, you've forgotten who you are. You know, he he looks at Timothy, he says, Timothy, you've forgotten who you are. Um, 
you have lost hold of your purpose. Same thing happened to Adam and Eve. When sin, when they were disobedient, um, immediately sin entered the world. And with sin, death. Death always follows sin. And it always will. Wherever there's sin, death will follow. Uh, for the wages of sin is death. And uh, I think a third thing, and I, I don't know if it says this, I don't think it says this in, in Genesis, but this is what I think. I think another big loss occurred at that time when sin and death came into the world. I think man, humankind, lost their purpose. I don't know why they're here. Uh, and that's true of natural man. He hasn't got a clue why he's here, what's his purpose. Um, I have a, a, a friend who's, you know, he, he just, you know, he doesn't want to hear the gospel and he wants to just say, well, when I die, I'm just going to be like my old dog. They'll just throw me in the dirt and everything's over. And I said, uh, not true. You know, it's not the way it is, but he believes that. So he's lost his purpose. You know, he's got no purpose. Um, he, he doesn't understand that the Christian knows where he came from. We know we've all come out of sin. We know we're in Christ. We know Christ is in us. And uh, we know where we're going. But that's not true of the world. They don't know. Uh, lost their purpose. Now, Timothy is kind of, uh, hasn't lost his purpose, but he's sure gotten confused on it. He's not, he's lost his focus on his purpose. Um, and Paul's trying to remind him of those things. Um, it was said of Columbus when he left Spain, you know, he was going to go explore the new world. And he, uh, when he got there, he did, uh, how's it going? See, he, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. And when he got home, he didn't know where he'd been. So that's kind of the story of a lot of Christians today. They, they're, they're Christians, but they, um, they just, for, they forget, they don't, press on to know the word. They don't press on to know the doctrine. And that's kind of where they're at. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they were. Where they were. They got a few hopes, you know. Well, I hope I end up in heaven. They don't know why. So, um, Paul's trying to straighten Timothy out on some of these things and just encourage him that way. Um, He says, we're all linked together, and it's my job, Timothy, to edify you. It's my job to encourage you, my job to, to, to come to you and, and say some of these things. So um, you've let things slip, so I must take you back to the foundation. Um, you and I came into the kingdom the same way. We were both lost sinners. We both received God's grace. We both have every blessing in the spiritual, uh, every blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. We both have everything necessary for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Um, we both have been adopted into God's family. We both have been chosen. We both have been called. We both have been justified. Uh, we'll both be glorified. All these things he tells Timothy. Um, and he said, we're the same. You and I are the same. And uh, so 
He says, uh, I, I was thinking of Joshua when Joshua was going to, Moses died and Joshua's got to take the Israelites into the land. I'm sure he was overwhelmed. I'm sure he looked around and said, look at this people. They're rebellious, stubborn, hard-necked people. What am I going to do with them? And God takes him aside and he says, Joshua, look at me. Moses is dead. But I'll be with you just like I was with Moses. You see, because a saint dies, because a great leader dies, because uh, if you look back in the Bible, all of the great ones died, didn't they? They died, they went on their way, but the purpose did not stop. The purpose goes on and on and on and on and will go on. Um, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, uh, when I'm gone, the purpose of God won't stop. You know, God doesn't need me. He can keep, he can keep working, uh, even in me. I mean, even in, in the church without me. <clears throat> so, he says, Timothy, so be a partaker of the afflictions of God, who saved us and called us onto a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. But now, he says, but he's now made manifest in the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Um, appearing. Can you imagine a young man with his wife in the delivery room and out in the waiting room is grandpa and grandma and the baby's here. So he runs out in the waiting room and he says, the baby hath appeared. I don't think he, I don't think he'd say that. Say the baby's born. But this one appeared. It's like all the while he was behind the curtains, but when the curtains opened, there he is. And God, uh, Jesus Christ has been on the scene from the very beginning, and now he has appeared. He's taken on human flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Um, human flesh, but God. Um, and so he's appeared, and what he's done is take away He's abolished death and taken away. Um, uh, he's taken away the sting of death. He's taken away the victory of the grave, um, and he's he's purchasing the church. He's um, he's he's done all these things and accomplished his purposes, delivered us from this present evil age, and all these things are in the gospel. They're all in Christ. They're all in God's purpose. Um, so his appearing um, was exactly as it was forecast. All the shadows, all the types, all the prophecies, everything pointed to that appearing. And there, and there it was. God didn't miss a beat. You know, it was exactly in his time, exactly the way he wanted it. So uh, the purpose goes on. Um, and then, of course, Jesus went back into heaven, puts his... Uh, he's, he's, uh, until his enemies are made his footstool, he's at the right hand of God as the God-man, uh, ever, you know, ever living to make intercessions for us. And he says, it's good for you if I go away, for if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And he did. So everything's under, under control. It's all in his purposes. And Paul believes these things. He says, you know, Paul hath believed these things. I know whom I have believed. You know, he says, what should separate us from the love of God? 
tribulation, distress, persecutions, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Nay, but we are killed all the day long for, for his sake. We are like sheep for the slaughter. And he says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor uh, uh, things present or things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And uh, so Paul believes these things. He's persuaded. Nothing can separate him from this love. Not even death. He says, uh, I, if if... If I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. I'll be with Christ. So, are you more like a Timothy or are you more like a Paul? Well, if you're like me, you probably say, oh, I'm kind of a Tim- I'd like to be like Paul. Well, I think we'd all like to be, but we're probably more like Timothy. Most of us are under the onslaught of 24 hours a day. We're under the onslaught of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're under uh, constant pressures, work and home and families. and uh, There's always something. And we tend to sometimes lose our bearing, you know, like Columbus did, I guess, or like Timothy's done. But we need to be reminded often. We need to remind one another often. We need to have... Um, uh, a reflection on the gospel. We need to meditate on his word. Um, and there's a great, great advantage in that. Um, everything is just as God said it would be. And, uh, and that's where the Bible ends for us. You know, in Acts, it doesn't tell us much more about what went on there, but it does, uh, if you read the history, I, I, just delved into the history a little. It says, um, Timothy lived another 34 years after the death of Paul. So Paul was soon separated from his head. Um, you know, he's absent from the body, present with the Lord. And it says uh, he was, um, he, he was, he, he died, went home to be with Jesus. But it says, Timothy lived another 34 years in Ephesus and uh, preaching the gospel. But when he was 79 years old, he went out in the streets to preach the gospel at a huge procession for the goddess Diana. And the enraged crowd grabbed him, pulled him out, and stoned him to death. So that was the end of Timothy's tenure on the earth according to God's purpose. And uh, everything goes on that uh, just exactly like God wanted it to, just exactly like God said it would. Um, and uh, that's the message of Paul to Timothy is the gospel. That's his hope. That's that's what the, a fresh look at the gospel every day in your mind is important. Preach the gospel to yourself. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... Uh, uh, your word is true, that your word is complete, that your word, uh, Lord, uh, is is uh, unchangeable, it's immutable like you, and uh, that we can trust it. And we thank you for it, and we ask you to take the word and, and just uh, make it a part of us, Lord, cause us to reflect on it. And uh, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Pastor Mark and Mary will be home back here next week, and And we're grateful for that, Lord, and we look forward to it. In Jesus' name, amen.
um, 